war and return to Egypt. Okay, so what happens is that when they let go, so God was leading them. We're going to see how actually they were led. What does it mean? It says here that God did not lead them. When we say lead them, how the Jews journeyed, we're going to learn a little bit later on, that in front of them there was a pillar of fire and there was a cloud, a, pil- a, a pillar of, of a cloud. During the daytime, they had a, a pillar from, made out of a cloud which was ahead of them, and they would basically follow that pillar. That's how they would know how to go. At nighttime, they'd have a pillar of fire because the Jews did not only journey during the daytime, but they also journeyed at nighttime. So they needed to be able to see where they were going. So they had that pillar of fire at the nighttime. So when God was leading them out, there was a closer way. Okay, I don't have a map over here. There was a closer way which they could have gone, which would be by way of the land of Pelishtim. But God did not send them through that way because he was afraid to take them in a close way because he was worried in case they encounter war, they might want to go back. If it's easy to go back, then they might want to change their mind and go back and say, we're going to go back. It's interesting, Rashi points out um, that actually, even in this roundabout way, the way God took them at the end, as we're going to study, he took them in a roundabout way. When we're talking about roundabout way, we're talking about direction going towards Israel, because that in that is Canaan, or the land of Canaan, that's where they were supposed to go. So there's a direct way from Egypt to Canaan, and then there is a non-direct way, it's a circumvent way, it's a way, a roundabout way. So it says that God took them the roundabout way, but what happened later on in the story, as we will read later on, um, there were wars that were taking place later on their way. Pretty soon we'll read about the war, later on in the Parsha, we read about the war of the Amaleki. That was a nation, the Amaleki was the grandson of Esau, and uh, they started a war with the Jews. And we have the Kanani, but still we see during all these encounters, the Jews were always tempted to say, let's make a leader and we're going to go back to Egypt. They were scared. So it turns out that even in this indirect way, they were always ready to go back. And they were always saying, let's go, let's make a new leader, let's get rid of Moshe Rabbeinu, and let's go back, we're going to go back to, to, to Egypt. So even in the roundabout way, they wanted to go back. So how much more so, if you were to read them in a short way, of course he can uh, easily go back into that way. I once heard a, um, uh, a saying that people say that young people who have a lot of energy and uh, have a lot of koyach, uh, 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 power, so sometimes when they stray from the right path, you know, from the way, uh, they stray very far away, you know, they get involved. You know, you see a lot of times like young people that get involved with drugs or they get involved with others foolish things and sometimes they go really far away they go off the, the beaten path they go like uh, and, and try different things and go away so they say that a young person is compared to like a, uh, a young horse with a lot of energy 
if a horse strays off the direct path and starts galloping down a side road, you never know how far the uh, the uh, horse could end up. It can end up who knows where because of its speed and its power to go far away. But on the other hand, when you talk about people who are already uh, older, they don't have uh, the kayak, they don't have the power, the energy so much, so maybe sometimes they make a mistake, they go off the direction, but they're not going to get that far, they don't have the energy to really go away so far away, uh, and that's why like they're compared like to an older kind of a horse, you know even if the horse loses its direction and goes away, but still it's not going to end up that far because just it's not that far, there's not that much energy, not that far to go so and from this point of view, it seems like the older you are, the better off you are. So that at least, you know, even if you stray, you're not going to go that far away. But the end of the, uh, of the parable is that the truth of the matter is that what happens when you come to the realization that you're on the wrong path. So when you're still young, and you still have all the energy and the enthusiasm, so because you're young, you have the energy, you can very, very quickly turn around and go back to the right path. In other words, changes in your life or changing your ways, changing your habits, because you've not been so, many, so much uh, experience with that, but you're just still young, it's like a young horse, you know, you can quickly find your way back and get back on the main road and go back. But for an older person, it's like the old horse. So... If they straight a little bit, actually didn't go too far, but to go back even to the regular horse, it's already hard, it's fair, it's difficult, because it's already, the movement is hard. But in this case, I'm just talking about when you go, not in the direct way, Hashem takes them, not in the direct way, because sometimes it's easy to, to go back. I think, you know, uh, people that want to change, you know, each time their habits, whatever it is, whether it's, yeah, any habits that we have, uh, whether it's eating habits or other habits, you know, that we have, we want to, we struggle with, and we try to change them. So, one of the ways the Torah is telling us over here is, yeah, you should put up some. Don't go in the easy way to for make it easy for yourself to go back. In other words, take away some of the temptations or take away some of the causes and go in a crooked way so that it's not easy to go back to your ways. Because if it's easy then, you know, you might go back to your old ways and then forget about, you know, things. So, make it harder for yourself to, um, to, to go back to the way it, the way it was. Um, once I had the uh, great privilege of meeting with the Lubavitcher Rebbe personally. You know, I mean, to meet like with the Lubavitcher Rebbe personally is like saying to meeting with Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, because, you know by the Rebbe, you know, everybody, you know, the Rebbe's time, the Rebbe had thousands of Hasidim and thousands of people, important people. Now, I was a kid, a young kid, so for the Rebbe to take out time of his schedule, I mean, what what, what could I already <laughs> speak to the Rebbe and, uh, you know, as a kid, I'm talking about a 15-year-old kid or something like that, I'm not sure exactly whether I was 14 or 15, maybe even 16, I'm not sure about that. No, probably, more, more, most likely about 15 years old. But there was the uh, the tradition was that at your birthday, one of the things they uh, that you did was you went to a meeting with the Rebbe, and you can ask the Rebbe. Of course, it's just you and the Rebbe. You know, it's like 
like the Kohen, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, you know, for a kid to go and visit the Rebbe, stand face to face and talk to the Rebbe. And that's your opportunity, I guess. That's your uh, chance to ask the Rebbe what you, what you want, you know. And, you know, ask for a blessing, of course, and, and, and the other things, though. You know. Hello? Who is this? I'm in right now in the middle of a shear, and then I dive in Mayrif. Can you call me like about 9 o'clock? Thank you. So, the, um, the, um, so that, w- but that was the tradition, and you know, they wouldn't allow a youngster to go with the Rebbe, but it was the tradition that they allowed you to go, you know, for just for a minute or two or three. So one of the things that I, you know, I wrote to the Rebbe at the time, and the Rebbe would answer you, give him a note, and the Rebbe would, would, would speak to you, you know, directly, so you know, so you put in the note what you asked. Rebbe very in a very caring and a very an accepting way, you know, the Rebbe, you know, made you feel, you know, try to make you feel comfortable with, you know, you're shaking like a leaf in there, you know, a little, a little kid standing in the Rebbe's presence, you know, and, you know, and it was like, like Matan Torah, you know, like standing by the mountain, you know, in your, in your own feeling, it was very, uh, very powerful experience. So at the time I wrote to the Rebbe that, uh, you know, you know, like like all kids, I guess. You know, I had you know challenges that I was trying to overcome in my personal life, but I wasn't able to. I had a lot of good uh, good desires and wanted to improve, but I had a hard time changing. And I was saying to the Rebbe, basically, in my note, I said that I sort of discouraged of making decisions because I know that my decisions don't last. So. I already gave up on making any decisions, and uh, so I'm asking the Rebbe for a blessing for some advice. Mm-hmm. And so I remember still what the Rebbe told me at that time. You know, the Rebbe said to me, he said to me, I'll tell you two things. He said to me, he says, number one, he says, don't make big decisions. He says, just make things small, make things that you can keep. He says, make very little, go from step to step. If you're going to make something big, you're not going to be able to to hold on. So just do a little bit and go from step to step. That was one thing. The other thing he said to me is, make sure to share your decision with another individual who you will later be embarrassed not to do what you've committed to do. And that will sort of create the barrier, I'm saying, so that you stick to what you, you need to do. Unfortunately for me, I mean, I still didn't. <laughs> no guarantees. I, I wasn't no guarantees. But at least, but you see, what I'm saying, I'm trying to bring it out to the verse over here. It's, you, you, you don't allow for an easy way back to make it a little bit more difficult. So that way you can sort of, uh, you know, your commitment will, uh, will stay and will stick. But they didn't choose this path. God chose for them. So for this reason. So they have just circumstances when they can, when they can go back. So yeah, but God, yes, absolutely. But God teaches us. But God, but God teaches us that that is what we need to do. Everything from what we learn is a an instruction. Yeah. Everything from the Torah is an instruction 
uh, for us in our own lives. So we try to learn something that we can apply in our own lives. And I'm saying, from God and the, God telling them to do this, and also giving the reason that I'm taking you not in a roundabout way, not in a direct way, this is something telling us that we can apply in our own lives to know that if we want to get somewhere from one place to the other place, or Mitzrayim is the land of you know constrictions and and and, and, and limitations. So we want to get out of our own limitations, of our own uh, things that make us uncomfortable, and we want to go to Israel. We want to go open up. We want to open ourselves up. Sometimes we can't go directly. It's hard because it's very easy to go back. So the and the way to do it is going around about the way, making it difficult for us to go back. And that's the way we can sort of uh, reach to this um, to this higher level. Sure. See. So now, Ellen, why don't we do the second verse over here? So, um, so therefore, in order not to give them a direct way, so we're going to do verse. 18, okay. So God led the people around by way of desert to the Red Sea, and the children of Israel were armed when they went up out of Egypt. Okay, so it says here that God uh, had the people go around about way by the way of the desert. We'll see, by the way of the desert. He says to the Red Sea, okay. Now, the... Um, the um, the verse says they came up armed. The word armed here is vachamushim. Uh, that they were armed. What does it mean armed over here? Armed in this context, armed means that they were actually armed with weapons. That they actually have weapons. Why is it important for us to know that they went up with weapons. Of all other things, it is important for us to know that the Jewish people went up with armed with weapons. Because uh, the commentary in, within Rashi, in the parentheses, is a question whether it's from Rashi's commentary or somebody added it. So they bring down over here uh, that later on we find that the Jews had war, they waged war, we talk about the sword, we talk about different things. And the question was, uh, the question is, where did they get all these ammunition for? They were in the desert. How did they make, how did they get all these tools and all these weapons and all these things that they need, that was needed for them they to go it. ahead? They huh? it. Did they take it from the Egyptians? Oh. You mean later on? Well, the... No, the, the they the, no. left. Like they took money, gold and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. Okay, but the question is, no, but I'm only explaining... Why was it necessary for the verse to specify the weapons over here? Because they did take it, but because of the um, of the question that might arise, because the question might come, where did they get the weapons from? That's why it has to tell you that uh, there were wars, and they took along these weapons what with them. Wars? Later on in the desert, we learned the Chumash oh, so later on, there were wars, so, so they, they came prepared. The right, right. Now, had they, this is all following up, because God took them in a roundabout way, and He took them by way of the desert, and therefore there is no ordinary, regular place for them to go ahead and buy and acquire things, so therefore they needed to go up armed, they needed to have prepared, so for their journey they needed to take everything along, so that they are 
fully prepared for the trip, for the turn, for the time that they were going to spend in in the desert. Now, there is another interpretation. Rashi says it's a very very sad interpretation. But Rashi says the word in the Hebrew over here, armed, but in the Hebrew it says vachamushim. Chamushim is like from comes from the number from the root of the word chamesh. Chamesh means five, or in this case it means fifth. It says over here that only one fifth of all the Jews left Egypt. Four fifths of the Jews did not want to leave Egypt. Four fifths did not want to leave Egypt. Now you can imagine, you know, today we talk about Mashiach is coming. We're all going to Israel, we're going to build the temple. What percentage do you think of Jews, according to their minds, if they don't change their minds, what percentage of the Jews do you think are going to go with Mashiach and want to leave uh, exile behind? Most people are going to say, hey, you know what, I like my car, not even a fifth, I don't think. I think maybe a tenth or maybe less. I mean, those people that have some problems... Maybe we'll say, we'll go with Mashiach, we'll give it a try. Maybe, maybe it's the luck, if you don't have a job or something. You see, maybe, 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 yeah, maybe go to, we'll give it a shot, yeah? We have examples in history when in Poland, they, they move, he said, all Jews should leave like in 24 hours. To Palestine. Yeah, to Palestine. So, um, so some Jews uh, didn't go. No, yeah, that's so, And it was more... They should have been more scared to stay in this anti-Semitic country and just take this opportunity, but they didn't. But the truth of the matter is, there are still Jews in Poland. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, and that's not only that. And then actually when it was the second temple, when Ezra, there was a whole big population that didn't want to go up to build the second temple. They didn't go, they stayed behind. Ezra had to punish them. There was a whole battle going on over there, getting the Jews to go up to, to, to Israel. But hopefully, or we believe that the uh, Jews will be positioned in such a way that they'll want to go up to Israel, that they'll want to be part of it, that it's going to be. They're going to also feel it in their hearts. It's not only going to be a redemption physically to take us from one place to another place. Sort of people will feel that maybe they're losing something out but people will actually want to go because people will have a realization that there is the goal and the purpose of all of our lives and all of our uh, history is for the ultimate goal to go to Israel, to build the Beis HaMikdash, to fulfill the, the divine plan of service, doing the service in the temple. So that will be part of our own personal redemption. We'll also have different ideas at the time. Right now it's actually very difficult to understand, but Rashi says over here that only one-fifth of the population actually came up with them. Mind you, there were many Erev Rav, there was a multitude of other nations, of non-Jewish people, who joined the Jewish people too. There was a lot of other people that went along together with the Jewish people. And they shared their destiny together with the Jewish people. For some it worked out, some it didn't work out. Some, some of them later on were unhappy with the destiny. They weren't happy. But you had both. But you had also four-fifths of the Jewish people. Now, if you think about it, there were... I mean, the numbers are staggering because there were... It says the, the, the figure that we learned in last week's portion is there was more than 600,000 men above the age 
of 20. That, in other words, the number 600,000 does not include anyone below 20 years old. It does not include all the women. And it does not, that's right. And it's the men. Wait, it does not include the men. From 20 till? 20? No, from 20 years and up. Later on, uh, there could be from 20 years and up. It was, to be exact, I think the number is 603,000. Uh, you know, that was the number. And we're going to talk about the numbers later on as we talk about it. So, so that's only if we're saying that by that number, then according to this medrash, it's only one fifth of that is that went out. Everybody else stayed back. Matter of fact, Rashi says earlier, you know, the plagues was one of the plagues was uh, the plague of darkness. You know how to turn on the heat? It's a little hot, you know. I don't know how one of no, one of the no, plagues no. was the plagues of darkness, and the plague of that. I think everybody's hot, right? I can turn on the heat a little bit. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, that's okay. Too, too hot, a little bit. No? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the plagues really, was the plagues of darkness. Really toasty. One layer, two layers to be there. How's and everybody? Like, no, I'm just too tired to take it off. How's um? Is Margie back? Not yet. Not, so how long did she go for? She'll be back in the beginning of February. So she left for a month. I guess, yeah. Mm. So, it says that during the plague of darkness, the Jews that didn't want to go out actually perished. That they refused to go out. It says that they perished, but, but it's really in order for why the... Why did they give them that choice? Why in order they, for they them... Say, yeah, oh, don't and, and I didn't think when Mashiach came, it's like voluntary. Yeah, okay. Like in order... <laughs> hey, I don't I in order to... In no, order to... In order to hide... In order to... Moses not died. give the oh, yeah. Egyptians a a reason to celebrate that the Jews are dying too. It was done during the plague of darkness, so that they didn't know about it or they didn't it didn't come to their attention. They didn't they weren't able to celebrate it. But it says that they died during that period of time. Now you say why was it the per- people's choice? And uh, I don't know. I can't resist. But you, you must have heard that. Uh, that joke because uh, that was my uh, first joke when I meet somebody I told them about this rabbi who once came to a um, um, to a family and uh, he um, you know they treated him very nicely they uh, gave him a nice donation for his yeshiva they gave him a good place to stay and they generally they they just treated him like uh, like royalty. And before he left, he says to the man of the house, he says to him, I want to give you a, a blessing. Because you were so nice to me, I must give you a blessing. Yeah. So you know the end of the story? So he wants to give a blessing. So he says, he says, tell me, what is it that you are lacking that I can bless you with? Tell me, what is it that you need? And the guy thinks, he says, you know, thank God, he says, I have my health, family, children, everybody is good. You know, I, they're learning well, they're doing well in school. You know, my livelihood, my parnasa, everything is doing just good. He says, I'm in need of no blessing. You know, I'm just fine. I'm good. So the rabbi says, in that case, you know, I will give you the standard blessing that Mashiach should come and to take us all out of exile and bring us to Israel. So the guy says, he says, look, I have this standing uh, agreement with my wife. I don't do anything without her consent. So I'm going to go in and check with her if she agrees uh, for the blessing. 
And he comes back to the rabbi, he says his mm-hmm. wife isn't happy with that blessing. She doesn't agree to it. She says she has no reason to want to go to Israel. She doesn't, she, she's fine and she's, she's just perfectly okay over here. She has her house and she has her car and she has her uh, needs. Everything is just, you know, her friends and the language and she doesn't know about anything else. She's just absolutely content over here. She don't want to go to Israel. She don't want to go anywhere. She wants to stay right here. So the rabbi sees, you know, who he's dealing with. He says, listen, go tell your wife, you know, things are quiet now, but the anti-Semites and anti-Semitism, that is going to uh, take, just in a little time, it's just taking a change of mood, a change of the wind blows the other direction. People will start, you know, causing trouble for the Jews. Jews don't belong in uh, here. Jews got to go to Israel. He says, you know, it makes sense what you're saying, but I still got to check with my wife. So he goes back and says, no. She says, my wife says, look, Rabbi, you're such a spiritual holy man. He says, I want you to give a blessing that the anti-Semites to move to Israel. He says, he says, <laughs> no, <I remember>. <laughs> <laughs> we want to stay right here. Yeah. So basically the idea is that, you know, if it is to get rid of the anti-Semites or get rid of some of the problems or the physical you know, there's other ways of of curing that. We'd rather want to see what's happening over here uh, in a in a in a good way, not in a uh, in a bad way. But four fifths is a huge amount of, of a Jewish population. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's like it's more like you know this uh, whole immigration from Russia. It's very similar. Some some Jews stay, like my relatives, still there, right? And Russians uh, saw the opportunity and also moved <laughs> with Jews exactly like Egyptians. Right. And they move here, unfortunately, as part of Jewish families because there is no other way. So it's like mixed marriages and stuff like that. So now they moved here and they brought anti-Semitism here. Mm-hmm. And my mom last week complained to me they live in a like housing where a lot of Jews, only Jews and uh, Chinese people, nobody else practically. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, other elderly people, so from Russia, they are not Jewish. So she said, there's such anti-Semites, like I went back home. Yeah, they just wanted to say in a spiritual sense, maybe, you know, of course we're Rashi and the simple means they actually died during the uh, darkness, but died can mean also in a spiritual sense, conceivably, maybe they were lost to the Jewish people. In other words, that they uh, they didn't go along and they sort of died in and they sort of uh, assimilated and they sort of uh, became part of the of the Gaisha culture over there and they remained with the Egyptians back uh, back over there. Maybe that's on, a, on another level. Okay, let's go to the next verse, Marina, verse uh, nineteen. Moses took Joseph's bones with him, for he, Joseph, had endured the sons of Israel, saying, God will surely remember you, and you shall bring up my bones from here with you. So, 
before Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, before Moses dies, this is in the last, in the previous book, in Genesis, before Moses dies, he instructed uh, the, um, he spoke to his brothers, but he told his brothers, if you see the language of it, he told his brothers to go ahead and take out the bones with them. If you see in the wording that you were saying, uh, it says here, Joseph adjured. Now in the Hebrew over here, if you read the Hebrew, it says, It's like a double language. So as Rashi explains, uh, he actually spoke to, as we see in the end of Genesis, he spoke to his brothers. And he told his brothers that they should take out his, they, the bones with him when they go out of Egypt. Now of course the brothers of Joseph also didn't make it out of Egypt because they died even prior. It says that prior than all the problems began with Pharaoh, all of the brothers and all that generation perished. They, they have died. Uh, so he had told them that they should in turn tell their children. So eventually um, the, um, the uh, message got to the Bnei Yisrael, to the Jewish people, that Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, that Yosef wants to have his bones carried out from Egypt and taken along with him to Israel. Now, why didn't... I forgot. Sorry. Why didn't... Now, we see a difference over here that Yosef did not ask his brothers to carry him and bury him in Israel, as did his father. We see that Jacob had asked Joseph, he made a whole big to-do about it, that when he dies, Jacob asked that Joseph should take him and bury him actually in the cave of the Machpelah, in the Maratha Machpelah, and together with his ancestors and together with the rest of the family over there. But Joseph did not ask. Now, if Joseph did not want to stay in Egypt, as we see that Joseph is asking them to bring his bones, <clears throat> so why didn't he ask them to bury him in Israel in the first place, as opposed to having to be buried in, in Egypt, and then his bones be taken out from from Egypt? And the answer is very simple. Rashi says, because Joseph was in power, and he was able to go ahead and carry his father, bring him, and do the burial in Israel. But the other, the rest of the Jewish people, the brothers, they didn't have that authority, they didn't have that privilege, that ability, to go ahead and carry his bones. So there was really, basically, there was no choice for Joseph to, but then to go ahead and be buried first in Israel and only in Egypt and only afterwards have his bones moved from Egypt back to Israel. But in a deeper sense, there is also a deeper relationship between Joseph and Egypt and uh, Jacob and Egypt. See, Jacob only lived in Egypt for, he did live there for 17 years, but he wasn't actually within the Egyptian society. They lived in a separate area, they lived in Goshen, in the, in the, in the state of Ramses, they lived in a different area. They were shepherds, 
they were removed from the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian style, lifestyle. They were separate. So notwithstanding the fact they were in Egypt, but they never really became part and parcel of the Egyptian uh, community and their philosophy and everything else. They never became part of that culture. And therefore, Jacob had really no no business really to be buried there. He had really no connection to Egypt. But unlike Jacob, Joseph was part, he was the ruler of, of he was part of the Egyptian uh, society. He was the ruler of the Egyptian uh, country. He was the second in command. He was the viceroy to the king, to Pharaoh. So he did have, and spiritually this represents a different approach uh, how much our souls, and each individual has their uh, particular uh, mission in life, so to speak. Some people's mission is to be teachers. Some people's mission is to support the teachers. There is different parts that we all play in this whole big <laughs> picture that is supposed to uh, accomplish the mission that the Jewish people have to accomplish. So Jacob, from his perspective, he had to stay beyond Egypt, couldn't be buried in Egypt, couldn't be part over there. So even during his lifetime he was separate, and when he died he had to be moved out of there. But Joseph, he was able, and it, in a way Joseph's level comes even from a higher source, even though he comes after from Yaakov, but that he was able to work and be in that environment and still be able to be there, buried there, work with there, and still raise a family, and still be strong, and still fulfill the uh, obligations that he had as a as a Jew, as a son of Jacob, to be able to do this. Um, once a rabbi, uh, Hasidic leader, was asked, he says, "How come he says that the you know the the, the Rebbe has you know we just had Yutzvat the tenth of Shvat." just uh, a day ago on uh, yesterday was the 60th year from the Rebbe's leadership so the Rebbe was able to uh, um, you know he started a new phenomenon most leaders build a community and the Rebbe dispersed his community he says my community you go out and you build your own each one is supposed to build their own community and their own place and there's 4,000 Chabad you know, institutions all over the world. Wherever there's a Jew, there is a Chabad over there. The Rebbe says, go out. Don't build my community, go out. And somebody asked the Rebbe one time, how come, uh, how come somebody asked another Hasidic master, he says, how come the Chabad Rebbe was able to um, you know, be successful in sending out uh, people outside of the community, and you are collecting and holding on to your students, you know, right next to you. He says, I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid, you know, if I send my students out, I'll lose them all together. He says, the Chabad Rebbe, he says, he sends out his students and they bring him more Hasidim. He says, they bring back more sparks, they bring back more other people. He says, but you, if I send my people out, not only are they not going to bring me anybody, I might lose them themselves. So he says, I must keep them close by to make sure that they don't stray and go off the... Uh, the right, uh, you know, the right way. So, Yosef, in a way, could connect and be part and, you know, work within the society and even be buried there. That represents by his burial. 
But still, when the time comes, when the Jews leave there, in other words, they've accomplished everything that they have to do there, even Joseph doesn't want to remain buried there. Joseph too wants to get out of Egypt, because he too doesn't really belong in Egypt. Egypt is only there for the mission to be able to bring about the... uh, the uh, the presence of, of, of godliness to take out the sparks and to accomplish the mission that needed to be done. So did he maybe want to be like because here you're saying if he if did he want to maybe stay in Egypt as long as the Jewish children were in Egypt? Yeah, he to would, be there and actually to be yes, together yes, with them. to be together with them, to be in the problem, to work with them, to help them because he was part of them, part of that that thing. But Rashi also says we learn out from the extra words over here. That not only did they um, did they um, take up the bones of Joseph, but also the bones of the other brothers. Also, if you look closely in the language, in the verse nineteen, it says, "And you shall bring up my bones from here." What is the last words? With you. So he says, "With you" means with you. He was talking about with his brothers. With you, because your bones will also be brought up. Now, apparently. The Jews were very preoccupied in that time. <coughs> now, Mo- Moses was from the tribe of Levi. So if anything, the tribe of Levi would have gone and worried about their head of their family, which is Levi, to take his bones and, and bring them with him. But Mo- but Joseph uh, didn't have a direct lineage to Moshe. Uh, Moshe was from a different tribe. <coughs> but you know, the Midrash says everybody got preoccupied with uh, with collecting the gold and the silver and all the uh, excitement, and so they forgot about Moshe, but about Joseph. But Moshe—that's the verse—is telling us that Moshe took it along, and Moshe was going bringing along the bones of Yosef with him, and he made sure. The Midrash describes the whole. It wasn't an easy process to get because they had uh, buried it in the. Nile River, they didn't want uh, Joseph's bones to ever leave them because they recognized the uh, specialty of Joseph. The Egyptians and they, buried Yeah, him the Egyptians put him huh? down. Maybe it was a mummy. Maybe it yeah. was a mummy. It wasn't a mummy. It was yeah. a... No. I don't know exactly, but the, the marriage tells us a lot about that, about the story about how Joseph was left and how Moshe Rabbeinu worked very diligently, very hard to save and take out the Moshe's uh, bones from there. Yosef's Moshe worked to bring out Yosef's bones out of uh, out of Egypt uh, from there, and that's why the Torah makes a note of this that he told that he told them to uh, do to, do so. Okay, why don't we do verse twenty? Um, they traveled from Sukkot and they encamped in Etam at the edge of the desert. Okay, so Sukkot was the place that was the area were their first stop. The Jews lived in the place or the land which was called Ramses, Goshen Ramses. That was the Ramses. So, but it says that the day that they left Egypt, so we know that was on which day? That was on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. They left Egypt. The day that they left Egypt, on that one day, they traveled a great distance. They went from Ramses to Sukkosa. That's what we learned in the previous portion. They went... It's like 500, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an exaggerated amount, Rashi quoted before, a faraway place, but somehow they did it instantly. Because the verse says that I took you on the eagle's wing. Eagle's wing means that they made it in a 
instantly they traveled from Ramses to Sukkos. That took place on the first day. This is already the second day. So this is on the 16th day of the month. They traveled from Sukkot, and they camped at Eitam B'Tzeh Hamidbar. I mean, you have to just imagine moving such a crowd, you know, several million people, just moving them from place to place and getting everybody to go. And here they're changing, you know, positions, you know, from one place to the other place. Um, so this is the this is on the second day. Rashi says, "Why don't you do one more verse, verse twenty-one?" And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to cause it to lead them on the way, and at night in a pillar of fire to give them light. They thus could travel day and night. Now, so they the, didn't sleep. Then? Oh, that's a good question. Now, during this period of time, they had very little time to sleep over here. <coughs> when the Pasik says to travel day and night, doesn't mean that they were always traveling day and night. As we're going to see, in some places they encamped, they stood there for 38 years. In one place, they didn't move. They weren't always moving. At times they were stationed there for a long, 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 for many, many, many years. <coughs> At times they moved around real quickly from place to place. Um, the verse tells us over here, and God went in front of them. Vahashem. Now, Vahashem, Rashi already translated earlier, it means God and his court, or. But it seems to be a contradiction from the beginning of the verse to the end of the verse. It says that God you would lead them. God, you would expect that it was God Himself. Hashem holech lifnehem. That God was going before them. But then it said He went with the pillar of fire or the pillar of, of the cloud, the pillar of the cloud that went before them. And, and Rashi addresses this by saying um, that He led them through an agent, but it still means that God Himself was leading them. In other words, He had his agent, the fire was actually there, but it was God leading them through the fire, through the Aish. So it was Vashem, it was God himself, but he prepared, and this was this means that God was leading them. So in other words, when we say God is leading them, he didn't leave it up to the Aish, or he didn't leave it up to the fire or to the pillar, for them to go their direction, but it was God himself that was leading them. But... The way it manifests itself, it was through the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of the uh, of the uh, of the fire. Because people couldn't see God, because God cannot uh, they see. Cannot see God. Right? That's right. Yeah, like, that's correct. So, so they related. They knew it through that, but it, it basically means it was a hands-on. It wasn't that. Like God left it sort of to nature, or somehow it's going to happen, it's going to go, like put it into motion. But it was the involvement of God in every step of the way. God Himself was leading, was was leading that, was leading it uh, before them. He was sort of leading the pillar. He was leading the these pillars in front of them. <clears throat> but Rashi over here uses the words Hakadosh Baruch Hu Hashem in His glory, but. Actually, Rashi said before that when it says Vahashem, it means Vahashem and Hashem, meaning him and his Beitin and his court. In other words, like we find also with the plague of the Egyptian, the firstborn. So it says that God smited him by himself. But 
also through a destroyer, through a mashchis, through the angel of, you know, he used other tools, but it was still in, with God's presence himself, it was with his own involvement. Okay, so, if you see, the pillar of fires served for two things. It led them, but it also brought them light. Whereas the pillar of the cloud, that was just used to direct them and lead them in the way. And that's how they were journeying. Okay, Esther, go ahead, do uh, do, uh, 22. He did not move away the pillar of cloud by day, or the pillar of fire at night, from before the people. So what is this verse adding to what we already know, that he led them with the pillar of fire and the... Uh, the pillar of the cloud of fire, and what 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 do we? What does this add? What it adds to us is that layamish uh, layamish means it would not move away. There was always something over there. In other words, at the end of the day, the cloud would not leave until the fire came, and then the cloud left. And at the morning. Only after the cloud came back is when the fire left. But they would not uh, uh, just leave one without the other. There would never be a time that they were left without one of the, one of the other. So it was always there. Um, this is also a you know this 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 this, this cloud and the, the fire you know they represent also there is also meaning to this you know the cloud represents cloudiness, you know, also in our lives, you know, uh, cloudiness when things aren't clear, when things are obstructed. Fire, on the other hand, represents when things are warm, when things are light, when things are visible. And, um, you know, in our lifetimes, you know, a lot of times, you know, when things are, uh, you know, going very, very well, you know, uh, we think that we deserve it, or we think that it's always going to be like that, and we sort of take things for granted, and we don't appreciate it, and we say, okay, it's daytime, it's beautiful, it's sunshine, nothing will ever change. And then we might become complacent, we may become haughty, we may become uh, ungrateful, and we just, you know, start believing in ourselves that we deserve it, everything is going to be just fine. The Torah says, no, you know what, Yoimam, while it's daytime, while things are good, still the pillar, the cloud, needs to always be there. You should always remember, you have to remember that there is a cloud out there, that there is people that are less fortunate, that there is people that are, uh, don't have it. Your own cloud, you know, now everything is so great, don't forget to share, don't forget to be sensitive, don't forget to be uh, helpful to others. Don't when there is yoimam, when there is daytime, still remember there's a cloud. And on the other hand, when there's lilo, when there's nighttime, and at nighttime things seem bleak and dark, you think there is no way out. There is this is a dead end. You know, you bang your head against the wall. He says, I don't see any way. Things are so hard. Things are so uh, difficult, and you start getting, you know, uh, depressed, or you start getting feelings of helplessness and. Uh, uh, things, you know, uh, giving up and thinking, you know, that the world is coming to an end. The Torah tells you, Amud Eish, there's always remember, even during the nighttime, remember that pillar of fire, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's always hope, there's always change, there's always 
betterment, there's always goodness that's going to come future. Sometimes these difficulties are only just temporary. So that's one of the things that we learn from this. Hello? Okay, I will. I'm going to finish my class and I will. Thank you. Yeah. I'm wondering if uh, people knew that that was God. So they saw the cloud and then the fire, but did they really knew that? Did oh, God was leading that, them. The, that it was not just a cloud or just a fire. Did they have this feeling or they just didn't realize that that was God? Well, Generally, when you say the people, you know, when you read the story as we're going to be reading, I mean, there's like, <laughs> you have the two opposite senses that you get. On one hand, we talk about the devotion of the Jewish people and about them sensing and about seeing all these miracles and about how faithful they were and how they followed Moses to the desert without any food and how dedicated and how so many people left their homes and everything and you bring out you know how tremendous on a great level these people were that they did all these kind of things who would ever imagine that people can do you know we're wondering about that four-fifths that didn't go we're surprised about the fifth that did go but then on the other hand soon as you as soon as things don't go exactly their way Immediately they're complaining. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Isn't there enough graves in Egypt so we can get buried over there? And we told you, Moses, bug off. Don't bother us. Let us stay in Egypt. We'd rather work in Egypt than die over here in the desert. Yeah, but they complained to Moses. So it doesn't say that they complained to God. So they didn't know that God is behind that. That, So I'm saying, but but God has just performed for them all the miracles constantly. And Moses was sharing with them. Moses was sharing with them. No, they believed it. That's what I'm saying. On one hand, they believed it, and they were totally blindly following Moses and totally dedicated. And then on the other hand, as soon as something went wrong, boom, they're <laughs> they're on the other side. Within the verses itself, in one verse, they're now, Maybe it's the more vocal Jews. It wasn't everybody. Yeah. Well, people are doing it right now with Obama. I mean. The economy is not happy, happy right away. So people complain he's awful, he's horrible, he's horrible. But then people complained about Bush. He was awful, awful, awful. Is anyone ever really... Unless they're in their own wealth, in their own driving whatever car they want to drive, then they're happy. But if if there's one bit of struggle in their life, it's everybody's fault. And you're going to blame this like this. More than that. It's It's the question of... If, if people believed in God or not, because like even even now, if you tell like if you have like thousands of people and you tell them look around you, do you see godliness or, or you don't? So half of them probably will see godliness in everything, and half of them will say look around you, you see nothing. It's more, less so it's, it's the matter of how you how you see Your the events. Yeah. So some might say, okay, look at this event, you know, just God was present here. And another person will say to the same event. But I I would say to you, just a little bit more, what you're saying, what she's saying, it's not other people, it's It's in ourselves. We ourselves have 
the two forces with us. We have we have a part of us that wants to believe. We have our godly soul that believes is always we have to overcome the challenges, the questions that we that arise. So we ourselves are schizophrenic, so to speak. We ourselves have two parts in ourselves. We struggle with that. That's a human being. So it means sometimes we're convinced. Sometimes we seem to uh, question. Sometimes we're not sure. Sometimes we we are ready. So that same Jews over here too. I mean, it doesn't mean one way or the other. It just means that when things were going, they saw it. Then they started saying, hey, maybe everything that we saw, or maybe... But at the time when there was problems, it's very hard to think of... Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you know of the good times, you know, and at the time of the good times, it's very hard. That's what we're saying. It's it's it's, it's very difficult. Is it so like uh, extreme? Because the miracles were so unbelievably like not questionable. Can you can you deny that the the, the siege just split? Can you deny? We didn't get you to it. Okay, but, but can you deny? Can you deny it, yeah. the plagues that just took place in Egypt? Like certain things were so clearly evident. How could four fifths of the Jewish nation? see what's going on so clearly and then say, like you were saying, did they feel and see or experience and know God? Or they or they doubted? Or were they in a, in a certain level they did, whether they did fully or they didn't fully, or the uh or you know, uh sometimes, you know, people uh just refuse to see what is evident to them. And that that was destined. We have to say that was destined to be. That was destined to happen. According to that medrash, there were those people that didn't merit to reach that level of emuna that was required, that level of belief that was required to make it through to the desert, that make it to the to to Israel. They were maybe of the character that they needed to stay in Egypt. They couldn't go through. They couldn't handle it. That wasn't for them. I mean, for again, at the end of the day, these are the plans known to God, not to us. We don't know exactly why things, you know, play themselves out the way they do. It's happening in Yemen right now. There's like 300 Jews still left, and they just do not want to leave. I mean, and it's told you ha- you leave now. And if you don't leave, leave you might now, be. You're gonna either, they're going to take your land. They're going to kill you. The, the Muslims are going to take over. Either leave now. The Hasidim in New York took a lot of Yemen. Yeah, yeah, right. and yeah. So, and there's a lot in Israel, but they won't leave. These 300. Well, I don't want to sell my land. I want to, you know, get rid of this. I got to do that. I, it's not so bad here. You know, they're used to their own customs, and they won't. It's just 300 out of all of those people that have left. But uh, I think the key word we didn't. Gonna, we're going to finish up over here. But the key, um, the key is um, uh, at least in Hasidic thought, is v'yodu mitzrayim k'ani Hashem. It's too bring down in the limitations in Egypt the recognition of Ani Hashem, that I am God, that there is above nature, that it's not everything is the natural way of things, you know. Basically, Egypt represents the limitation of just what you see is what you get, and that there is nothing more beyond what you see. Ani Hashem, the word I am God, means that you see that there is somebody in control over everything, and this was the basic purpose of this whole uh, procedure is to bring in a recognition within the world, within the Egyptians, within the parameters of nature to recognize that nature itself is a work of God and that nothing in nature is really going to stand in the way of God in order to do what Hashem wants. And of course we see this through the splitting of the sea and the 
most important thing is to realize that this exodus of Egypt is something that we're obligated to remember every day, and actually twice a day. Why is, why is it so important to always remember this? Is because this is a very important thing in life to remember that all of our limitations and all of our questions and all of our challenges are really only limitations, and they're Mitzrayim, and that we can go out of Mishraim. We get up every morning, we start our prayers, we start, we say, no, this is actually, we think that we're limited, we are confined, that we are restricted, but the truth of the matter is that we can go up out of our limitations, and we can reach the infinite, we can connect with Hashem, we can bring out the Ani Hashem, God's, that God is the leader of the world. So, it's work, yes, going out of Egypt isn't easy, you know, you gotta, you know, beat up on the Egyptians, you gotta uh, work your way through, you gotta split the sea, you gotta do a lot of different things in order to get, but eventually, you know, you do get it, you get it first every day, and then through a lifetime, and then, you know, hopefully we, we see going out of Egypt, of this of this exile, that was the... Um, that's our job today, is to try to break through the limitations and make people want to come to uh, greet Mashiach. One of the one of the things that the Rebbe wanted to uh, teach the people is the advantage of Mashiach. This is to be to be to be in you know cognitive about that that there is very very uh, powerful times uh, coming ahead and, and very important to us so that people should should yearn for that and that that was a challenge in itself. Because, like we said before, most people are content, you know, where they are, and you know, don't want to, don't are afraid of change, or don't think they need change, don't 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 know that they need change. And, but change you know, comes no matter what, you, yeah. <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. So hopefully it goes always with change for the better, so that we, we can see the better. Are they ready or not? Things out of your control.